Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame put a smackdown on USC on Saturday with three interceptions of USC quarterback Caleb Williams and a 48-20 to win to end Notre Dame's eight-week stretch of games without a break. Now the Irish are enjoying the off week, and so are we. Uh, with a chance to reflect on Notre Dame's season to date, we wanted to also look forward, so we asked Mike Renner, NFL draft analyst for The Messenger, to spend some time with us today. Mike recently announced his new daily podcast, Renner Ranks, so check that out after you get done listening to this one. Mike, thanks for joining us. For sure, fellas. Appreciate you having me. Always always happy to be amongst Domer fans. Yeah, I should <laughs> add, Mike is also a Notre Dame graduate, so his uh, expertise is uh, not only uh, – um, good, but also personal. <laughs> He's invested in the Notre Dame team. Um, Before Tyler starts, do you have do you have field storming experience? <laughs> I did not. I ended up so I was at the game this past week, and I was at the game okay. with my uh, with my college roommate. And once uh, once they sacked Caleb Williams, once they stopped him on that fourth down, we're like we're going to the bars because we're going to stay out late after this. And we're not going to, we're not going to want to wait in line for an hour afterwards. So we hightailed it out of there. We, and we were uh, talking trash to USC fans on the way out. It was not my proudest moment, but I was, I didn't, I didn't even think that was like, oh, of course they're going to storm the field. So we were watching them storm the field and I had regrets from, uh, from brothers there on Eddie street. <laughs> and so let's start with this, with this past game. Well, how impressed were you with what Notre Dame was able to do against Caleb Williams? Very right. Like I, I'm not, I wasn't super surprised. This has been a very good defense all season long. I've been telling anyone who wanted to listen, this is like the most talented all-around defense that I've seen from uh, an Notre Dame team because there's like legitimate NFL talent and legitimate NFL talent where, you know, maybe they haven't had NFL talent in a while since, you know, when they went to the national championship game. They have talent on the interior defensive line, which in college, that's how you could control a game, right? If you have defensive tackles, you will control the line of scrimmage. You'll control the run game. You'll get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. You could do that. And that's what was the case in this one. And they have talent at cornerback. They got two guys on the outside that, you know, just aren't really penetrable, that you're not going to consistently attack down the football field. To beat them, you really got to attack places of the field that not a lot of people are comfortable attacking, which is the middle of the field, um, especially for college quarterbacks. And we saw Caleb Williams just like, not really want to go there too often and hold on to the football in that game. So I wasn't too surprised, but I was definitely a little surprised. Like how they controlled Caleb Williams and basically kept him in the pocket as well as they did. That was one where I was like, I thought there was going to be times where he leaked out and got some big plays. Mm-hmm. And it just never came to fruition. Mike, as you kind of look at both rosters, or at least the parts of it that were on the field during the game, um, do you think Notre Dame and USC are pretty comparable in talent? Does one have an advantage over the other in overall NFL type talent? Just in terms of NFL right now, what they're going to put into next year's drafts, I think Notre Dame's probably going to have more guys drafted if I had to bet. Um, now, obviously, like a guy like Caleb Williams tips the scales usually, you sure. know, a guy who's that, you know, you're talking about a number one overall quarterback type prospect versus a guy who, you know, may or may not get drafted Sam Hartman, depending on, you know, just eyes of evaluator. So uh, that was the probably the biggest difference in my eyes. But then, like, you just go through position by position. And I, I would say Notre Dame's going to have more guys and, and more, like, quality going into this year's draft than USC probably will. Since you mentioned Sam Hartman there, what are your thoughts on what he's been able to do with his draft stock this season? Do you feel like he's helped himself in any considerable way? Or is Sam Hartman sort of the same guy that he was coming out of his Wake Forest career? Yeah, I mean, truthfully, you know, if he would have gone to the draft a couple of years ago, that, that probably was his best bet, just because that was such a weak class. It, you know, two years ago, it was such a weak quarterback class. He had mm-hmm. probably his best chance to go on higher than had a you know good season at Wake Forest. But I, I don't think he's helped himself too much. It's because quarterback's still a trace-driven position. Unless you're really – you know, Joe Burrow, unless you're really not missing any throws, not making mistakes with the football, playing darn near perfect ball, then you can get, you know, then you can get a bump in the draft. And I don't think that's necessarily been him. He's played great. Like, he's been the best quarterback Notre Dame's had in a minute, right? But that's not a high bar to clear, sadly, uh, from what we've seen from the Notre Dame team over the past decade. So, uh, from a draft perspective, he still has a well below average NFL arm. He's still 
well below average NFL frame in terms of his height and what you know NFL evaluators tend to want at that position and want want from like a backup quarterback at that position. So those two things, and then a quarterback class that's going to have just so many guys, so many guys coming out this year that are probably draftable grades. He's really probably, you know, like I said, he he may. It would not surprise me if he doesn't get drafted this upcoming April. Sadly, as sad as it is, I love the guy's player, but it's just it's a log jam right now at the position. So I guess the beard and the hair do not figure into his draft. <laughs> I mean, he's got he set himself up for like a career on TV, is what he's done. He's <laughs> he is gonna he's gonna write his own check uh, when he's done playing football with uh, how much pub he's getting for all that. That that's what he wants to do. I mean, that's what his goal is when football ends for him. He wants to have his own fishing show. We were talking this summer, you know, the hot ones show where they eat hot wings. Well, he wants to ask people questions while they're fishing. I don't know if you try to keep catching bigger fish progressively, but <laughs> that was the concept he pitched this summer. But anyways, like uh, um, when you are evaluating Notre Dame's offensive talent, do you allow yourself to evaluate Jared Parker as an offensive coordinator? And if so, how would you evaluate him? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't uh, – I, I try not to be, like, too critical of – play calling just because uh like I, I it's it's easier to criticize from the sidelines and harder to be in the moment knowing what you have from a talent perspective and what you have to do and who's healthy and what guys feel comfortable with and that sort of thing but yeah you're you obviously like when you watch the tape you see what they're running and see what their uh calls are on side you know high leverage downs and i don't think it's you know i i I think it's still kind of just they're set in a it's kind of the mindset my if I had a biggest criticism of him it's that they've not really changed mindsets from what we saw in the Tommy Reese era and some of that's like what the talent you can bring in right like they use a lot of tight ends they rely on their offensive line because at Notre Dame with the standards they have academically those are two positions that you can recruit at a high level and that you know you might struggle to recruit wide receiver talent at a high level, running back talent at a high level, the way maybe other schools can, uh, just because the nature of the beast with being Notre Dame. But I think they rely on that just a little too much um, and, and don't kind of take some of the low-hanging fruit and some of the schematic things you can do in college with spread offenses that uh, just create more space for your running backs. Uh, that, that I think they're still kind of stuck in that mindset um, from that we've seen the past handful of seasons. So that, that's probably the one thing that I'd like been maybe just a little disappointed. I thought we might get a little bit different flavor coming to the mix here, but it really doesn't feel too much different. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that. Flipping back into draft mode, who who do you think on Notre Dame's roster who comes to mind when I ask you who's helped themselves the most this season? Howard Cross, man, that, that guy. He looks like a different player entirely. Just like coming into the year, I don't think he was going to get drafted honestly from his tape prior to this and. It wouldn't surprise me after this, and I assume he's going to go to either the Shrine or the Senior Bowl, and I assume he's going to light it up there based off of what I see from him on tape. And, yeah, you know, shorter stature, not necessarily what, you know, you think of when you think of defensive tackle, top-tier defensive tackle prospect. But from what he's put on tape, that, that guy I think is going to be a top-100 pick in the NFL. And, that like, if you had told me that coming into the year, I would have said, yeah. no really, Howard Cross? <laughs> I think he's going to be a top hundred pick. He's just gets after it that much. His quickness, his hand usage, it's all kind of reached a Zenith and he is playing consistent, hard nosed football and like playing every down too. the guy barely comes off the football field uh, and still brings it. So I, I think he's teams that have like a three tech, use a three tech at the next level. They're going to want this guy. I mean, his, his tape is great this year. Okay. I'm going to flip it back to the offense. And look at Joe Alt and Blake Fisher, and to lesser extent Zeke Corral. So it, it's interesting. This junior rule has been around since the late '80s, and Notre Dame's had players take advantage of it. Never an offensive lineman. Um, they've had guys leave with a fifth-year option on the table, but never as a junior offensive lineman. Do you think Joe Alt should and could be? Uh, the first, and then what are your thoughts about Blake Fisher, whether he should come back? Joe Alt, I hope he doesn't leave, but my <laughs> Lord, he should go. There's no reason for him to come back for another season of college. Like, this isn't even, you know, Quentin Nelson was going to be 
you know, top 50 pick probably if he came out early and then came back and then, you know, top 10 pick. All it's going to be a top 10 pick right now. There's I, I zero, very little doubt in my mind. And it's not like there's like technical things that he can improve. Like he's been, he's been technically sound since he was a true sophomore, right? Like he just, the guy gets the position. Uh, he's very consistent and it's just, there's really nowhere else for his draft stock to go at this point. It's just, just, yeah, this class has a lot of top talent. Like I could see him maybe getting, maybe going up a little bit higher if he did come back just because maybe there's not as many blue chip guys at the top, but you're splitting hairs here because he's making lots of millions after this season uh, on this rookie contract, no matter uh, where he ends up going, because it's going to be, it's going to be at worst top 15 pick. He's just, he's that good. He's that consistent. He should, he should go to the NFL draft if he really is uh, worried about, you know, his financial outlook for the rest of his life. And what about Blake Fisher? What do you make of him? Could he be a left tackle if he stayed an alt uh, left? Do you, what do you see as his future, his ceiling? Yeah, for sure. I, I think he's, I mean, I think he's more athletic than Joe Alt, right? Like he, there was a reason why he was the five-star and Alt was the lowly recruited guy coming out of high school. He moves so well and there's just, not a lot of guys that size who move that well. So there's still like a the ceiling's still so high for him. But if I was, you know, advising both, I'd say, Joe, you played great for three years, go to the NFL draft. Blake, you could make yourself a lot of money by coming back to school and getting, you know, your technique better, you know, cleaning up your waist bending habit that he has in past pro, just being more consistent uh, with his footwork. And if he does those things, like, you know, there's a reason why he was that high recruited guy. There's a reason why we are talking about him as draft prospect is that there's so much to work with. Like he truly is a special athlete. And it's a position where good Lord only made so many. It's hard. It's a, it's a highly traits driven. You gotta be six, five. You gotta have long arms. You gotta be able to move. Like there's not that many guys in the world that have that. A lot of them that have that, then I'll end up going and playing the NBA and playing different sports too. So it's like, there's so limited pool to deal with. And he's one of them. So he could go really highly. He just, his tape right now is not near that level. And so I, I believe he has two more years left of eligibility, right? Correct me mm -hmm. if I'm wrong. But I, he's a guy that at least one year, if not two years, and he could make himself a ton of money if he works at it over the next two years. Speaking of guys that probably have to go, running backs who are productive through the first three seasons usually need to go into the NFL as soon as they can. So that would be include Audric Estime. What do you think his sort of draft – stock look what does his strap stock look like what are the strengths or weaknesses that you see in his game i think he's i think he's top 10 back in this class now he's probably closer to 10 than he is to five uh, at the moment but he's he's got a really nfl translatable body type skill set running style like he's no nonsense gets down the football field in open space he can outrun the linebacker if need be really turns it on and, and like will break We'll break the arm tackles that like you're supposed to break, right? I don't think he really goes above and beyond. I think the weaknesses to his game are just like lacking the dynamism that you'd really want. That if he's one on one with a linebacker in space and he had just caught like a swing pass, you'd be surprised if he broke that tackle, right? I think he, you think he's going to get taken down by NFL linebackers more often than not in that situation. So he's kind of a limited role guy at the next level. He's not going to be much of a pass catching back. Not going to be a guy that you're throwing wide pitches to too often. But like he can get north and south really well and with running games today and with you know the rise of too high you want that guy who's going to turn those three yard gains into six yard gains and i think that's the type of back that it could be so our projecting draft round just with way running backs kind of gone at the nfl level like you got to be it's either you're special and you get drafted highly or kind of the the second round running back late second round is just like not there anymore there's not a lot of guys that get drafted in that range so i'd probably project to him somewhere probably he'd come off the board somewhere early day three out of bed. Okay. I'm going to flip it to the defense. I'm going to go with the defensive backs. I'll save the big guys for uh, Tyler, but uh, Thomas Harper's the only one that's absolutely out of eligibility. I know Cam Hart has his mindset on going as well, even though he has a COVID year. Then you got Xavier Watts, who's a true senior with still some eligibility left. Of those three, I'm curious where you think those guys are and if you think Watts would benefit from coming back. Yeah, the only guy I saw as draftable of those three was Cam Hart. And I think he's played his way up boards this year. I think he's really helped himself. I think he's been 
outstanding is just that outside line of scrimmage guy. And, and I think that's who he's going to be at the NFL. I would say, I would say he could be a day two pick, but he's got to get better as a tackler, like with his body type. If he really was a high end tackler, like an enforcer in that regard, I think he could be a day two pick. But right now, he's really just a kind of silo press, you know, like a cover three type of corner that some teams will want that. But it's just that guy is being asked more and more to tackle with how much off coverage people are playing in the NFL nowadays. And he just has never, over the course of his career, been that. And obviously, like he doesn't get asked to do much of that in their empty defense either. So, um, but I've been really impressed with how. His pressing technique has been this year. Really impressed with how he's tracked kind of hip to hip with guys on vertical routes. And obviously his speed at his size is like really good. Like it's, there's not a lot of guys that have that. He's a guy who could probably be, you know, has like a very NFL translatable game because of the, all those uh, traits that he possesses. So uh, he'll definitely get drafted, but I just, at the moment, like I said, he, he could make himself money at like a senior bowl, shrine bowl end of the year and, and push his way into day two, but probably right now it's probably still like a day three. I have been, if not the conductor, towards the front of the bandwagon on the uh, on Javante Jean Baptiste this season. Um, mm-hmm. The sacks numbers aren't necessarily there. He does have the traits in terms. I mean, he was a, a freaks list guy for for Bruce Feldman. What 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 does his outlook look like? How significant has like the, the playing time opportunity that he's had at Notre Dame been for what what he could be uh, in terms of an NFL prospect? Yeah, I think it's been huge for him. And he's a guy who, you know, Notre Dame fans, like he, he may go higher in the draft than you think just watching him on tape. Like watching him on tape, him and Howard Cross, like it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, after Combine, after his pro day, like they end up in a similar range, even if you're watching Notre Dame tape, you're like Howard Cross shows up all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't nearly as much, but he's a guy who like that NFL body type is what works on the edge. That, that explosiveness with that length is what, teams will just buy into in kind of the mid round. So um, I think that's kind of like a fringe top hundred guy. That's where I see him. I, you know, a lot of these sort of empty guys, I'm saying fringe top hundred, but I, I do think <laughs> that that's where, you know, you start to take kind of like, you know, kind of like Zach Harrison. I think he went like in the right around that range last year, the Ohio state guy who was right. starting in front of him, who was kind of similarly tooled. That's probably where I see uh, him coming off the board but a definitely draftable guy at this point. And, and again, a guy who could help himself out at the senior bowl or shrine bowl if he goes, so should he go. Mike, I'm sure you're familiar when you look at Notre Dame's roster, there's some really good athletes at linebacker that are in the younger classes and a really, really good one coming in in Kingston, Viliamu Asa next year. The older guys get a lot of criticism. I do think that they're pretty savvy players and they all have technically a sixth year left i i doubt that many of them will use it but i'm wondering what are your impressions from a future beyond college do you see for jd bertrand jack kaiser and maris leofow yeah they are they're guys you love at college you want to go to war with them i don't quite see nfl futures if there was one i think leofow is the one who could make a roster you know, you know, sneak his way in the back end of the draft just because he's got the size. He's, he can be a plus blitzer. He, he's got like the want and, and like he hits like a brick. The other guys are just like they're not tooled. They're not tooled like NFL linebackers, right? When you're six foot, six one in that range, two twenty five to two thirty, undersized, you better run a four or five flat, or you better like you, you better have thirty three inch arms. You better be built just differently and somehow. And I just don't see that for Kaiser or Bertrand. They're, they're guys that, you know, could catch on special teamers, um, could catch on back in a roster, but I, I don't see anyone going out and coveting uh, guys like that, unfortunately, just because of, you know, the nature of the beast when you're going to the NFL and trying to tackle guys who are, you know, they're, they're the guys they're trying to tackle in the NFL are going to be bigger than them or a lot faster than them, sadly. We've hit on just about every draft-eligible guy except for Riley Mills. What what are your thoughts on him? Again, he's a guy that has eligibility left, even though he's a senior. So what are your thoughts about his place? If I had a bet right now, so Joe Alt's going to be the highest guy drafted. I think Mills is probably the second guy if he comes out you know, on this team that gets drafted next uh, April. It, it just, he's got the traits, right? Like it's, I keep going back to that, but when you're 6'5", over 300 pounds, 
probably going to run sub five seconds in the 40 yard dash, like has the get off. Um, he's still kind of figuring it out. Like he doesn't play as physical as you would want him to play for a guy who's that size and that explosive. And they're just like, you just keep thinking if he kind of puts it all together, like there's a lot left on the bone, but I think he's gotten better this year. Like and he's gotten better every single year of his career, really. Um, and that's something that NFL evaluators are probably going to buy into. So I think he's, if I had to bet like where he'd come off the board right now, probably late second round, uh, just because of the athlete that he is and that he can be kind of versatile and that he can play probably anywhere from head up over a guard all the way out to like, outside shoulder of an offensive tackle and not look out of place and like can probably two gap offensive tackles. Like, so I, I do think there's, uh, there, he's a guy who could, you know, once he gets to the NFL could even be better than he was in college, just because it's really all there physically. Um, we just haven't seen it get put together to the dominance you'd like to see. And if, and if it did, he'd be a first rounder, but we just kind of haven't necessarily seen that at the college level. Mike, you've talked a lot about traits and rightfully so I'm curious if there's, a position or two that you feel like NFL personnel maybe will take a chance on with production versus traits. Are there, is there a position? Does that exist where like, you know what, this guy doesn't have the traits that we would normally rely on, but the production, there's other Mm -hmm. things at specific positions that can maybe overcome those traits. I think tight end, right. I mean, I don't think Michael Mayer was super traitsy as a tight end coming out and still goes top 50. I, I think, Lot wide receiver, similarly, I think interior offensive line, you don't need to be special uh, athletically. You don't need to be special strength-wise. You, you just need to have the skill, hand usage, technicality, and you can still go highly in the draft. Um, after that, you know, it's it's all a matter of expectations. Like, you can succeed at the NFL level. There's just, when, you, when you're drafting the guy in the first round, kind of the thought is he better – have you know, quote unquote pro bowl potential. What they see as pro bowl potential is guys who have higher end athletic ability, because truly when you look at pro bowl rosters, there's not a lot of like poor athletes at, at a lot of different positions. You can be an impact. You can make an impact on the NFL roster, but you just, a lot of guys to reach that high end, you have to have the traits that I'm talking about. Mike, as you kind of look at the guys that are draft eligible, I'm sure guys that aren't draft eligible pop up on film and obviously Ben Morrison would be one of them, but there are, are there some other underclassmen where you go, Whoa, I'm really interested to see where this is going. Yeah. I think uh, Benjamin Morrison obviously is the very first one. Like he is unbelievable. I think he could be, I think he very well could be a first rounder when it's all said and done. And then uh, Jeremiah Love as well is a guy who I think just needs more touches, man. Like that guy is, <laughs> he looks like the most dynamic Notre Dame back I've seen since. I, I just, I, I think his game is, is going to be, obviously running backs don't go necessarily super highly, but he's closer to the ones that do than like an Audrick estimate, right? Like he has that cutting ability, that instant acceleration, that, I think when it's all said and done, he could have a heck of a Notre Dame career. So those are the two guys that I've seen as underclassmen. I'm like, well, I need to see, I'd like to see a lot more of these guys. And obviously Benjamin Morrison, you're seeing a ton of them. He's been freaking awesome over the right. course of his career, but uh, love as well. Yeah. Love's one of those guys where it's like, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that like that dude's good at football. Yeah. Like that, I don't know where, what and how, but he's like, I want more of that. So it's, exactly. uh, it's been interesting to see how he's been used in the offense. Let us know what people can expect from your Renner Ranks podcast. What what kind of content will you be giving them on a daily basis? Yeah, so I, you know, as draft analysts, it's going to be a lot of player evaluation at the NFL level, whether it's rookies, breakout players, underrated players, that sort of thing, um, and a lot of NFL draft content as well. So it's you know ranking positions. Uh, last week we did wide receivers on the pod. This week we're doing quarterbacks rankings for the upcoming class. So it's going to be a lot of stuff like that. The ranks is kind of like a kitschy thing but we do a lot we cover a lot of ground just basically general nfl or a lot of like you know inside not a lot of the you know who's uh not a lot of the debate that you see on you know espn or national talk shows more like let's actually evaluate let's actually talk the nitty-gritty about football so that's what you can expect on red ranks well all right mike that's all we have for you we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and best of luck with all your stuff moving forward, we will certainly be keeping an eye on it, especially going into the offseason and draft season. For sure, fellas. Appreciate it, guys. Go Irish. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of a new promo we're offering for InsideIndieSports.com. We're offering 
a 30-day free trial to all our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to our site. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Insider Lounge message board, and you don't have to wait around for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. When you sign up for a subscription on InsideNDSports.com, you can also find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. Other than Thomas Harper, the tackling in the secondary was less than optimal, but the versus the Trojans, it looked phenomenal as everyone seemed to make textbook tackles. What do you think led to the improvement in one week's time? Um, I believe that as a team, as a, a complete defense, not just the back end of it, it was one of Notre Dame's better tackling grades. Um, I don't, I don't have a reason for it other than, you know, just focusing on it, looking at the mistakes. And I think also feeding off of a great game plan, I think having some success just kind of feeds into, into it, boosts your confidence and, and helps you with tackling, but I'm going to let Tyler answer this one in more detail since he watches, rewatches the games. Yeah. The tackling was, you're right. It was Notre Dame's second highest tackling grade according to PFF. The best one was Ohio state. So maybe there's something to Notre Dame living up to the opponent and knowing that it needs to be sharp with its tackling. I don't, I don't think tackling was a problem against Louisville necessarily, um, there were some bad angles, I think, taken in, in, in a couple of the long plays, the couple of the long runs that, that Louisville had. Um, so ta- tackling has been an issue at times. I don't know that it's been a, a constant issue. Um, I do think it seemed like against USC, like Notre Dame's defensive backs were being aggressive. Like they're like, we're not going to let you make a move on us. We're going to get up in your face and tackle you and do what we're supposed to do. We're not going to hesitate. And they weren't maybe, a, maybe they were playing just with less fear. Like, um hey if if i'm gonna t- if these guys can beat us badly like i'm gonna make sure that i do what i need to do and if then they beat me then they beat me but i'm gonna do my assignment and make sure i take care of that especially like if you look at the screenplays like notre dame was really good with that and i think a lot of that is like well if you if you commit to making the tackle before those guys can get ahead of steam it's gonna make your job a lot easier um so go ahead and do that and and, and you'll do it so i think it's i mean it's, it's how football works you don't always play to your ability um, it's not like these players didn't know how to tackle or couldn't remember how to tackle, um, but they came through when they were needed to against USC, and you hope you could, hope Notre Dame can do that consistently moving forward. All right, next question is from at Mike Devoy one Tyler, the offensive line seemed to be all finally be on the same page this week. Did your film analysis bear that out? While the running game was better, it still wasn't dominant. Was this due to USC loading the box or still some shortcomings in O-line play? Well, he did say Tyler, so I will let you take that one. <laughs> yeah, I I think usually the thing about offensive line play, there's usually a lot of things that go into it. And, and, and especially in like run game blocking, it's not a cop out to say that it's not always the offensive line. It could be tight ends. It could be receivers. You have to sort of get everything taken care of. What, what Notre Dame, at least in my opinion, where Notre Dame hurts itself sometimes is by bringing too many tight ends into the box. And then it brings more defenders into the box. And then that just adds the amount, adds to the number of defenders that you have to make sure you account for um, in order to make a play successful. Um, and so I have a very unscientific method that I've been doing the last couple of games against Louisville and, and USC, where I've just sort of like, as I watch through say, well, this is a bad run. This is a good run. Usually a bad run is generally three yards or fewer, unless, unless it's like third and two and you get two yards. That's not, I'm not going to consider that a bad run. Um the Louisville game, Notre Dame had eight bad runs and six good runs, um, and and not it's not it's not black and white where it's either uh, bad or good. In my opinion, you could just sort of have sort of a so-so run that I that I won't necessarily note. Um, against USC, Notre Dame had nine bad runs and twelve good runs, so certainly improving in terms of the execution um, with the good stuff, but the the bad stuff was still there. Um, Eight of those bad runs against USC came with multiple tight ends on the field. Um, 
eight of the good runs though did come with multiple tight ends of the field. So that's helping just maybe not at the same rate that it's hurting. Um, the bad runs uh, of the nine bad runs, five of them came with 12 personnel. So two tight ends. I just don't think that's giving Notre Dame enough of an advantage right now. Um, and so they, they need to, that's, and that's not to like put it all on the tight ends. Like, I just think when a guard messes up in 12 personnel, it's not just the guard messing up. There's also an extra linebacker in the picture. There's an extra safety in the box. Um, so I think it just sort of magnifies those, those errors. Um, but Notre Dame has sort of errors pretty consistently at a number of different places, whether it's, I, I think the biggest thing that I've seen over the past couple of weeks is uh, double teams. Um, they're not getting to the second level linebackers at a, at a high rate. Um, and even sometimes there seems to be miscommunication with who's leaving or who's taking care of the, the, the down linemen. Um, and so that's something that Notre Dame needs to continue to, to sharpen. Um, and uh, that's sort of why you see sort of the up and down that, that, that Notre Dame had against USC, which you can live with if you have those ups and Notre Dame just wasn't having those, those big running plays for the most part against Duke and Louisville um, aside from the, the 30 yard touchdown run that Audrey Gustame had to win the game against Duke. All right. Next question is from LDL go Irish from the insider lounge. And after all that talking, I get a long question to read from LDL uh, during the USC game. The offensive line looked better, but the O-line has become tentative at times. They are back on their heels, allowing them to move side to side and pick up a penetrating stunt that they have been missing at other times. They are wait forward to exaggerate moving a man off the ball as they have been bowled over too often. And it seems they too often guess wrong in which way they exaggerate. And as you and Eric have pointed out, the receiver's adjustments have not happened. Is the ND offense that predictable? Are the offensive line and receivers giving away the play? Are signs being stolen? Or is our play calling and teaching of fundamentals that bad? Boy, there are a lot of options there. I would say if I wanted to pick something as a starting point i would say the play calling is that bad and i don't mean it's everything but it leads to second and long and third and long which makes it more difficult to look good doing the things you want to um the certainly the wide receivers injuries and ex inexperience you know that the healthy ones being the least experienced guys that plays into it. Uh, but I think the play calling could be a fix to a lot of these things and would help uh, a lot of the things. I, you know, this has been a team in terms of grades from pro football focus that's consistently graded better with its pass blocking than its run blocking. Uh, so again, maybe, you know, there's some teaching and fundamentals to be done during these bye weeks and during the off season that's going to help them next year. But I think play calling is a problem. And I think it's also the biggest potential fix because I do think that there's a better offense than what we've been seeing. Yeah. I, in terms of the giving things away and predictable, I, I don't know that Notre Dame is necessarily giving things away. Um, I, I, I haven't like studied it or looked at it at a point to the, to the depth that a, an opponent would be able to. Um, I think one thing that I would be interested in looking at, I, I don't know, or maybe is the case. I don't know. Um, when you pull that, that can sometimes give, be given away by your splits. Um, a lot, sometimes offensive linemen will like to cheat back a little bit um, because they know they're pulling and they want to be able to get around the guy next to them. So maybe that is happening. I'm not saying it is. I don't have any evidence that it is or isn't. I haven't, zeroed in on that it was only something i considered when ldl asked this question um but i do think a lot of the losses are sort of self-inflicted and communication based like like i mentioned they're not getting to the second level with the linebackers they're, they're not getting enough push as well um at the point of attacks at times um sans joe alt uh so i think that is something that Notre Dame needs to continue to improve on um the play calling i think can help um like it can be both an execution and play calling problem. Like if you're not executing the plays that are being called, then why why are those why do we keep calling those plays? That would be what I would be asking myself if I was on the coaching staff. Um, so I think there's there's a little bit to work on there in terms of figuring out okay, what are we best at? What are, what have we not done 
that maybe we can do more? What do we do? What do we use sparingly that that maybe we need to increase in our offense? Because I think there are pieces there that can can be put together. And and I think Mike Renner sort of talked about like giving these guys more space to work with, like get the running backs into space more often, do some things that allow them to not be in a crowded box all the time um, and give them some other opportunities that they haven't been given necessarily on a consistent basis. Yeah. One thing about tells, I I think it's far less common at the college level. I know when my son played high school football and he was a defensive player, he, when he watched films, he wasn't really watching the plays as much as he was watching where the offensive linemen did with their hands on a run play versus a pass play. And he would study that and he would pick up a lot of cues in terms of being able to anticipate what the play was going to be, how they put their hand on the ground. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. And that's something uh, Notre Dame can self-scout a little bit more during the bye week. You have some more time to, to look at that and say, okay, what, 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 it, what is the corollary here? What is going on? Is, is there something that we're doing that's tipping our hand or, or is it like, Hey, we run this formation a lot. So they know what, what we're going to run out of this formation. Um, so I think that those are things that, that Notre Dame needs to figure out um, for the rest of the season. Right. And when you're in third and 10, the catalog shrinks of plays that work. Yeah. 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 Uh, Next question is another one from Mike at Mike DeVoy one. I think losing Jaden Thomas and Deion Colsey at the same time has a lot to do with the passing game issues. Two big targets with lots of experience suddenly gone from the same position. What are your thoughts? I agree. I I think getting both of those guys back will help. You'll have a true boundary receiver that uh, is difficult to cover single cover. I mean, if you put Jaden Greathouse into the boundary and I think he does a, did give it the old college try and so forth. I don't think it's the same. I I don't think you'll ever command double coverage on, on that. Not this early in his career. That's really not his game is the boundary receiver. Plus those guys are reliable. You know, I mean, whatever, wherever they lined up in the Notre Dame offense, those are two of your more reliable receivers. Deion Colsey doesn't have a ton of catches in his career, but a lot of them have been for first downs. Yeah, and it even impacts the running game, too. I mean, Jaden Thomas it plays a key role as a blocker, especially in the counterplay that Notre Dame likes to The TV run. announcer that thought he was a tight end, remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, um, I think it might have been the BYU game last year. Because uh, he, he, he did, like, line up uh, – in like a tight end alignment. Um, but yeah, I, I think those are those are guys that have a skill set that maybe Notre Dame's other receivers don't have. And I think it's been a domino effect. Like if you take those guys out of their positions, the other guys that are being asked to play for them aren't necessarily being able to maximize their strengths because their strengths aren't aren't Jaden Thomas's and Deion Colsey's strengths. So I think it's all sort of built up on itself in terms of like, well, we lose this guy. I think Rico Flores is better than what he's played the last couple of games. I just think he's been asked to do so much that maybe he's not being maximized right now. Um, the lack of production from Tobias Merriweather has really hurt. Jaden Greathouse, I don't think has been fully healthy, but they're running him out there. And I don't think he's been able to do a lot of the things that you'd want him to do. And even when you line him up outside of the slot, maybe he's just not as effective outside of that position as well. So I think there's a lot of things that have um, sort of made things even worse than it already was at the receiver position. And Notre Dame needs to get all of its guys back to sort of be able to maximize what it has there because it is somewhat talent deficient. And then um, when you take away talent from a place that already doesn't have the most talent, you're going to be, you're going to be in a tough spot. All right, next question is from Bob underscore Oxnard on the Insider Lounge. Will Jared Parker find a way to get at least two of our three most elite athletes on offense, Jeremiah Love, Jadarian Price, and Audrey Estime, at the skill positions out on the field at the same time? I think, um, and this came up in my live chat earlier on Wednesday, I think there, and, and this was actually from a question, or this wasn't my idea, but it had I I absolutely agreed with him. I think there was a missed opportunity not to use love more when you were short on receivers. Uh, The problem is if you're going to kind of make him more of a receiver type or just 
splitting them out. I mean, I usually the slot receiver seems to make the most sense there than having him maybe have to get off of press coverage as an outside receiver. But I do think there was a missed opportunity not to use him more. But when you have your full complement of players, I think there are times where you could have two back sets with Estime and one of those two other guys. It gives you some flexibility in play calling because, again, you can split those two out. The thing about Price is I'm I'm not sure. I mean, it's never been said, but I'm not so sure there's not like a pitch count, so to speak, on him in terms of snaps coming back from this uh, serious Achilles injury where they're just being careful this year and then they can kind of go full bore next spring and next season when he's had more time uh, and, and not, you know, get worn down after missing a whole year of football. Um, I don't want to move love to receiver because he's your second best running back right now. Um, well, I don't mean move him to receiver, but you could have two back sets where okay. you put him in motion or you, or you change the formation and split him out with the, with your two running back personnel. Okay. That's what I meant. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm like Notre Dame introduced a two back set in the Ohio state game. I'm curious, like, why can't Audrey Gestime be a part of that? Like, why can't you keep – why do you have to take Audrey Gestime off the field right. to run that? Maybe it's just like, well, we want to get him with some breaks. Um, but can't you – can't you – what can't you use those two together? Um, love and Price maybe – I think they've done some two-back stuff together. It's been more Love and Ford um, in that two-back set, which they haven't you know, used a ton, and maybe they start using it a little bit more, but – I think uh, there are ways to do those, do those things. I think because I think they just want they want to use love as sort of that next back. I think they maybe use him less in the split out mode because I mean you have Chris Tyree and uh, Jordan Faison right now that can do a lot of those things too. So um, I think that uh, there are different things that Notre Dame can do. Um, I, I'm not sure there. What, what that's going to look like, I would like to see, like I mentioned, the the SMA included in that because I think there's, there's got to be something he gives. And I'd be curious, like, why he hasn't been. If is it just because they want to get him off the field at times or is there something about what they're trying to do there that he's not necessarily proficient at? Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. If you were Jared Parker, what would you most be focusing on in the next two weeks? Sam Hartman has been great. However, the level of his play has dropped in the last three games. Passes seem less accurate, seems slightly less patient with his reads. What do you do during the bye week to help him to get back to how he was playing earlier in the season? I I think it starts with self-scouting and seeing why is Notre Dame becoming a went from being one of the best third down teams in the country to being below average uh, on third down. And again, some of that's what you're doing on first. And so you have to really go through and evaluate play calls and evaluate formations. Again, going back to what Mike Renner said, does it make sense to toggle between the 12 personnel that Notre Dame has kind of had as its identity and get some more spread formations on the field and and uh, spread out the defense a little bit more. I think those are the kind of evaluation things that Jared Parker should be doing during the bye week. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I mentioned uh, when I was running through like the good runs and bad runs that the most good runs that Notre Dame had against USC came out of eleven personnel. I had four good runs and they all came out of eleven personnel. Um, so I think there is some some uh evidence to to lead you to believe that there's some more opportunities for that um in terms of Hartman specifically I broke down all of his incomplete passes against USC in my film analysis that I posted earlier this week and also was a, an evaluation of all every third down play that Notre Dame ran against USC um and I think it shows that there's plenty of blame to be shared the wide receivers need to make some plays for him he has some decision making to improve um I don't he he doesn't like it seem this way personally, but I think his play maybe reflects this. I think that he can let his frustration get to him a little bit in terms of like the confidence he has in the receivers or the patience that he has with them. Um, 
in terms of like the offense as a whole, I think, and particularly the passing game, I think Jared Parker needs to scheme guys open more often. Like there, 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 there are ways to get guys. You don't have to be the best receiver in the world to be set up in a route that puts you in a position to be get open. Um, I think the Chris Tyree and Jordan Faison touchdowns are examples of like Notre Dame knows that it's going to get a fair, if it gets a favorable look in terms of coverage, like it's, it's really hard to stop that play. Like, yes, Chris Tyree and Jordan Faison are fast, but like it's one-on-one coverage. They have the whole field to work with. You're going to have Sam Hartman can recognize that he can get them the ball. They need to make stuff like that happen more often. I think it's, it's harder to take chances like that. I, I sort of on the flip side, like how do you how do you balance like taking shots downfield when you can't rely on your running game getting four yards to carry like if I do that on first down how am I getting 10 yards in the next two plays um or if I do that on second and six do I am I stuck with a third and six then with an incomplete pass I think that's what um Notre Dame has to sort of figure out like it needs to be more efficient in those things so they can be able to take advantage of those things but I do think there are some schematic things that Notre Dame can try to do to take advantage of putting the defense in conflict um, and working with the advantages that sort of the mo- modern college game comes with for offenses. All right. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. What are your biggest unanswered questions about the team heading into the bye week? I would say um, not necessarily in order. How does Tobias Merriweather fit into the wide receiver picture over the last four games? How much are you willing to invest game reps in him, or does he need to show you in smaller sample sizes of game reps and earn his way back into playing time that way? The second thing would be, you know, is Jared Parker a guy that can fix the offense? Can he fix it by himself? Can he fix it with his offensive staff? Um, you know, where does he sit with that? What's his potential to be able to fix what's going on with Notre Dame's offense? And then the third thing I would say, I'll throw a defensive thing in there and kind of a positive one is, can Notre Dame build off the the roles that it used against USC, the um, rotations, you know, how much players were playing and so forth? Can you build on that? I would say yes to that. That's the one I think is the easiest to answer. I think there's some things, obviously you can't use the same game plan against every team. You need to mix things up and teams are constructed differently. But I think that Notre Dame really hit on some really good player combinations and role combinations that I think will serve them well in the last four games of the season. Yeah, my questions are can the the wide receivers make plays with consistency and that's not just a, like a a player thing. It's a like I mentioned like there's ways to get those guys open and give them opportunities to play with with more consistency. Uh can the running game be dominant again? Um the up and down nature of the running game has obviously hurt Notre Dame over these last few weeks. That's something I would like to, like I don't know that is an answered question like can they get back to where they were before? as a running game or are they stuck with what, what they have been the last few weeks? Um, is the offensive line ready to take the next step? Is, are, are is it solidified with these five guys and they're going to continue to, yeah. to, to, to grow from here. Um, and then the, the last one is maybe a little niche, but um, <clears throat> excuse me, can Notre Dame's punt coverage be more consistent? I think that's something that has been, secretly not very good in terms of Notre Dame special teams. And that's something that I don't know. It wasn't a big secret on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it was a great returner, but still. That wasn't the first time though. That wasn't the first time Notre Dame hasn't done a good job um, in terms of it's, it's net punting. All right. Next question is from scuba VT on the insider lounge. What kind of shot do you think we have at beating Clemson? Um, You know, when I picked them to go 10 and two initially at the beginning of the year, I marked this down as a win for Notre Dame. I don't think it's going to be easy. Clemson defensively is really good and they don't have a weakness defensively. They are good across the board at everything. Offensively, they have a tendency to self-destruct. I think 
if you lean into the run against them, which would be a different game plan than USC, I think you have a chance to make them a little bit more one-dimensional. I think part of the defensive game plan is maybe detonating that self-destructive nature for Clemson and helping out the offense that way. You know, I think Notre Dame has a shot at winning that game. I don't think it's an unwinnable game, but I think it's going to be difficult. Yeah, I, w- I said I I would give Notre Dame a decent shot. That's where I'm where I'm at right now. I've I've always thought that was a winnable game for Notre Dame. I've lost some confidence in that with the last few weeks in terms of how Notre Dame's offense has played, um, because the offense needs to be a lot better in order for Notre Dame to win at Clemson. Like I, I the the likelihood of like your defense playing that dominant decreases on the road um and so i I just i just think that Notre dame's offense needs to continue to make improvements clemson has a great defense and so that is uh i think that'll be the key to key to that game um when it comes here at this beginning of november all right next question is from jack quinn at jq 6008 why do you think pitt always plays Notre dame tough in south bend the last six have been decided by eight or fewer and given the chip on Pat Narduzzi's shoulder when it comes to the Irish, do they have to be ready for a barrage of trickeration? Um, I think they play Notre Dame tough in general because Pitt's defense is usually pretty good. This year they are good in a lot of areas, including run defense, and and they get after the quarterback. And when you do that, you have a chance, even if you're not a great pass defense, if you're creating pressure on the quarterback. They're not a good pass defense. They're 103rd, uh, but they are very good against the run and so forth. As far as um, the correlation between the chip on Narduzzi's shoulder, I don't think it's a chip. I think it's a boulder (laughs) um, when it comes to the Irish. I don't know that it necessarily translates into trickeration. Their offense isn't very good. I think it's a little bit uh, better since they made the quarterback change from Phil Jakovic um, to Christian Veyer. Um, but you just wanted to show off that you learned how to pronounce his name. <laughs> I did research <laughs> it. Uh, so, uh, but, but, you know, their defense is going to have to carry them, meaning Pitt, in this game. And so, again, Narduzzi's a defensive mind. And I think other than some really weird decisions of trying to defend uh, Will Fuller in 2015, uh, that was at Pittsburgh, and then the uh, the uh, pandemic game where everything kind of fell apart for Pitt in that game, you're just going to get good defense from Pitt all the time. Yeah, Notre Dame has to be ready for Pitt to come out swinging. Notre, uh, Pitt, Pittsburgh gets up for the game typically. And they have um, four, three former Notre Dame guys on their team. Yeah, they got a bunch of Notre Dame guys there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think you have to – you can't sort of overlook Pittsburgh. But, like, I don't – it's not – my my outlook of the game isn't impacted by Notre Dame's 2002 game against Pitt in South Bend. Like, like I don't I don't love, like, the stats that span such a wide, fr- wide time frame like that. Like, the last – six Notre Dame Pittsburgh games in South Bend. Like that doesn't, that doesn't impact me. Like it, there is no correlation between the 2002 Pitt Notre Dame game and the 2023 one. Um, It's, it's a game that certainly matters to Pittsburgh. I think if you're, if you want to look at all those games that were close, I mean, Pitt had decent teams all those seasons, except for in 2012, they were six and seven and in 2018, the team finished seven, seven, but um, I think we have to evaluate what Pittsburgh is right now to, to figure out what that game's going to look like. And I'm looking forward to spending more time on that next week. All right. Next question is from Dan Burton at Dan Burt. Bunch of numbers. True or false with Tommy Reese still as offensive coordinator. Notre Dame is eight. No. False. Um, and I base that on this, you know, I, I don't know that Tommy Reese makes a difference in the Ohio State game and what the how that game played out um, unless he's calling plays, unless he's saying, they're 11, 11, 11, get that 11th guy out there. Um, if he's screaming that from the press box. 
but Tommy Reese had a worse game last year than Jared Parker had against Louisville this year. That Stanford game. Let me tell you what Stanford's defensive stats were last year. And, and they muzzle. Now, again, Drew Pine's playing quarterback and for Notre Dame, but uh, that 16 to 14 loss uh, for Notre Dame against Stanford. Stanford was rushing defense 126, pass efficiency defense 88. Scoring defense 112 and total defense 113. I, I don't care if you have Drew Pine's sister playing quarterback, they shouldn't have only scored 14 points. Yeah, I, I went with false as well. I don't, I don't. The Louisville game, I think Notre Dame just got trucked. Like, I don't know that that was like a schematic thing. Notre Dame just got their butts kicked, I think, against Louisville. Um, could there have been different? Things I, I think there was been? schematic stuff in there. I mean, and the offensive line rotation was ridiculous. Well, yeah, but was you think that was Jared Parker's choice to rotate the offensive line? I don't or, know. I don't, I don't know. I, mean, I don't think I so. Think he's I, in I don't charge. think so. Yeah, yeah. but I, no, I, the the offensive coordinator doesn't dictate position rotations. Like that is not a normal thing. So that would be. Um, I think he has veto power over it. Um, I don't know. Maybe I mean maybe unless we should, we Harry Heath stands your offensive line coach. Um, <laughs> then Harry rules everything. <laughs> Uh, and, and and Jared called a terrible game. I I thought that was one of the worst play call games that I've seen. We're going to have to disagree on that. I thought schematically Notre Dame was absolutely doing silly things against what Louisville was doing defensively. But we'll agree to disagree on that. Um, I think Tommy Reese does that. For but Louisville's a much better defense than Stanford. Uh, yeah. Well, I think Tommy Reese does that too, and I think he leans on the running game too much. Um. And in bad and in bad ways at times. Uh, so like I think I think that was sort of what Mike Renner said earlier that there hasn't been a big enough shift in what Notre Dame is doing between offensive coordinators. Um, <laughs> Tommy Reese maybe beats Ohio State at the end because he's probably running the ball the whole time in the final four minutes. Um, I I, I would been I would have been surprised if he called a screenplay. Um, in, in at the end there uh, when Notre Dame uh, missed an opportunity to, to run the clock out, but. Um, I, I don't think Notre Dame is, is 8-0 with Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator. All right, next question is from SJB75 on the Insider Lounge. Two months until National Signing Day, which 2024 recruits on Notre Dame's radar that is not currently a verbal would be the best get for Marcus Freeman? That's not on the radar? He's on the radar, but not verbaled. Uh, the kid that's the tight end from nebraska what's that gets name carter nelson carter nelson that that's my pick yeah i think that's probably the most realistic one although i don't know that it's like a shoe and then he's coming another name it's certainly not the case as we've reported on the insider lounge this week justin scott is the most talented player um and so he would be the best get if that were to happen i don't think that's realistic at all right now um the five-star defensive tackle committed to what Ohio do you think State. about the kid from georgia that visited the the, he's he's fine. I mean, he be, he would be a good addition, but I, he's not he's not a star um, player. Um, so I wouldn't. Uh, so I mean, and then really he, the only other person in play that's on the radar isn't it Caleb or, or Beasley? Isn't Beasley? Yeah, that's been. I mean, that's been publicly re being recruited. Notre Dame is certainly okay. kicking the tires elsewhere, and I've I've heard some names, but none none of them have been like star players that have come up, and nothing has really come of them come of it since um so i, I think it, it, if the, the best answer to this or the, the one that may be right and maybe none of these names that we're discussing at all right now um so um the justin scott and carter nelson would be the most talented players that are on Notre Dame's radar currently that there's there has been traction for in the past but um and then i think there's a better chance of nelson joining the class than justin scott but i don't I, 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 w I wouldn't predict either of them to end up in Notre Dame's class at this point. <laughs> Next question is from Christopher Cruz at Chris ND 92 before the season speculation was that Sam Hartman would sit out a bowl game. If not in the playoff, my thought is he needs one more showcase more than protection against injury. Plus he seems to have really bought into the ND experience. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, I missed all that speculation. Um, and I don't 
you know, I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. Um, I, I guess because I missed the speculation. Uh, I, I mean, it's not like he's a first round draft choice. I don't know why he would sit out a bowl game or a playoff game. They're not going to a playoff. Um, but even a New Year six game, I would have a hard time seeing him doing that, given that he's a captain and uh, how invested he's been in this team. Uh, you know, it happens, but I, I, I would think he would want to get as much exposure against good competition as he could to change opinions about him. Yeah, his draft stock isn't as high as some of the guys that have sat out for Notre Dame, but at this point, I mean, I, I, I don't, I never assume that a guy that is going into the draft is going to play in a bowl game. Like that's that's where we've gotten to at this point. If it's a New Year's Six bowl, maybe he plays, um, but uh, I don't, I, I don't think like whatever Notre Dame does in a bowl game is going to make the difference in Sam Hartman's like draft stock either. Like he is what he is. There's been plenty of tape on Sam Hartman um, against good opponents, against bad opponents in all in Wake Forest offense and Notre Dame's offense. So um, I don't, I got, if you're pitching Sam Hartman, like this is why you have to play for this one more showcase. Like, I don't think that's a very sound argument either. Um, it's just going to come down to whether or not he wants to play in the game or not. And what we'll, I, I, we can't predict that until he's put in that position. Oh, I disagree. I think if you're playing, I mean, this is his first year in this offense. And I think the, I mean, he hasn't shined against the top defenses. And if you're playing, let's say LSU and the Reclia quest bowl, or if you're playing somebody better than them in the, in a new year six bowl, and you do really good against a really good defense, I mean, if it if it opens up a couple of minds, I think it's worth it. I, I I wouldn't, you know, if I were his parents or whatever, or his agent, I don't know that I'd necessarily pitch that to him. I'd let him make his decision what he thinks is best. But I don't, I don't think he's help. I mean, why do guys play in the Senior Bowl? They play because they want to show scouts against the best competition that. I can perform. So I think a New Year's Six Bowl would be that. I don't know if a Pop-Tarts Bowl rises to that level. Speaking of Pop-Tarts, our last question, NWI underscore Irish 96, says now that 10-2 and two looks realistic, <laughs> is that good enough for a New Year's Six Bowl or should I start loading up on Pop-Tarts? There is an intermediate step here, and it is the ReliaQuest Bowl. Notre Dame does have a possibility and there's some contingencies on being eligible for that. It's a January 1st bowl. It's in Tampa. It is not a New Year's Six bowl. You read my mind. I was going to ask, what is the, what, where is that one? Which one are we talking about? Yeah, so it is you. in Tampa. And um, that's a pretty good bowl game. And their most likely opponent at this moment, if they ended up there, would be LSU. Um, as far as a New Year's Six, if Notre Dame goes 10-2 and two with the schedule that they've played, Again, they're not doing this in a vacuum, so you need certain teams to knock off certain other teams. But I would think with Notre Dame, if their, let's say, their college football playoff ranking is closer to, you know, similar to what the AP thinks they are, 15 right now versus the coaches, 18, I think that 15 starting point right now is a pretty good place to be and would get you into the New York New Year six again with with a road win at Clemson included. Yeah, I I generally like feel like chaos tends to happen in college football. Um, and so if if we're saying that Notre Dame is finishing ten and two, I think that would be good enough for Notre Dame to get into the New Year six. I just I don't I don't like like predicting like just like chalk winning from here on out and all those guys. <laughs> everything's going to go as planned for all the other teams. Um, but yeah, the ReliQuest Bowl doesn't sound great, but when you call it the Outback Bowl, I think I feel a little bit better because that's what yeah. the ReliQuest Bowl used to be. <laughs> um, uh, well, Outback, you know, there's food involved. ReliQuest, <laughs> there's not. <laughs> well, it all it, like just calling it the Outback Bowl like makes me think to previous Outback Bowls versus ReliQuest yeah. Bowls. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens if they don't if they don't get there, but. Uh, I think there's certainly a chance if if Notre Dame is ten and two that it can get into a New Year's Six bowl. 
All right, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who will still be watching college football this weekend, even though the Irish are not playing. As I or mentioned, with somebody who likes Pop Tarts or someone who likes Pop Tarts. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30 day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideNDSports.com. So please take advantage of that with the code NDPOD. That's NDPOD. This is the last you'll hear from us in the podcast feed or on YouTube this week. We'll be back to our normal routine starting Monday with Football Never Sleeps on YouTube, but we'll have plenty of written content coming your way before then. So stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage deeds. Mm-hmm.